I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Happy Sunday. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Syrupcast. My name is Daniel Bader, and as always, I'm joined by my uh, newly haircutted. I feel like you get a haircut every week, but nonetheless, my my newly shorn co-host Douglas Soltis. How are you, sir? My haircut cycle is also my pod cycle. That's weird, but but kind of cool actually, because we get to see you at your best every week. Um, if you if you joined us on the last episode. We uh, we were interrupted rudely by uh, a single ant that um, basically destroyed my equilibrium while I was recording. I'm Hashtag happy never to say forget. that uh, since that day I haven't seen another ant. So that's been a that's it's been about ten days. Uh, so that's the ant update. Thank you for your support and uh, understanding in this difficult time. And uh, also a difficult time. Serena Williams lost in the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Um, to a an Italian person uh, whose name I don't remember, uh, Fabio. But uh, she played amazingly. Um, as as we well know from this podcast, I don't remember anybody's name, mm-hmm. and I don't have the <laughs> capabilities or the intelligence to look it up on the internet while I'm recording. Hey Siri, who is in that match? And that segue, ladies and gentlemen is uh, why we pay Douglas Soltis the big bucks. Pop, pop. Uh, this week was obviously the Apple event of the year. Uh, maybe the only Apple event of the year. We're not sure. We were expecting an iPad event in October, but as we well know by now, since iSyrup covered all of the event's coverage uh, in multiple articles, the iPad Pro was announced, Apple's largest tablet to date. I was down there in San Francisco covering all the good stuff. Douglas, what were your first impressions of uh, of the Apple event, being uh, back in Toronto and seeing it kind of uh, from a, a third-eye perspective? Uh, holy crap, they have a lot to get through. And things that were, just years ago, the primal focus of a product announcement. Like, iPad, iPad Mini 3, 4? Poor guy four. just got yada yada. <laughs> just like, and we got a new iPad Mini. Just, that was like, 30 seconds. Um, Not even. It was yeah. It was about one second. It was, oh, and we have another great iPad mini. Totally. Period. So I, it, spe- it speaks to the, I guess, the consumer touch points that even a brand like Apple, which tries to keep things pretty simplistic, uh, is now dealing with and the complexities with that. And then the confusion, possibly in understanding where this is all going. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to, to unpack from the event. And um there was a good sense among the people there that Apple 
actually cut out a lot from the initial runtime. So it ended up being about two hours and 20 minutes. They probably could have gone longer than that. And I think uh, based on on what they ended up cutting, like they really didn't spend a lot of time on the iPhone in comparison to previous years. And the individual kind of components of the iPhone they didn't really spend a lot of time on. I, I suspect the uh, early rehearsals where they had kind of longer fleshed out versions of each product ended at, I'd say, three hours. So Yeah, well, and, you know, they want to hold people's attentions, but they also realize that, like, this is, like, an S-cycle year, so they focused on pretty much the two big things that are, I guess, hardware-dependent, because everyone knows what's in iOS 9, right? They, we already got that. So focusing on the 3D Touch... And the what I think is one of the coolest things that we'll be talking about later, we'll all suddenly be realizing that's really interesting. The um, the live photos, which are just you know videos, um, I thought were there two things. Well, they're you know, they're like a if you hybrid, have, and, if and you I'll have explain, moving photos, that's, that's legitimately video. No, 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 it it is, but it's not because a video takes up for like okay, so a video actually has its own sort of implications for sharing and for distribution and things like that. And with live photos, it's actually just a delta between uh, photo and video. So it's basically, it's filling in the blanks for one second before and one second after. Mm -hmm. But there, all that video is basically just a bunch of frames of the same photo that you took. Like 24 frames per second? Uh, I don't think it's 24 <laughs> frames. I think it's much less than that. It may be 10 frames. Because if you saw the playback, and I got I got to see the playback in person, uh, it looked like it was more of a GIF in the sense that it was choppier. It had that sort of cartoony effect. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact specs, but I, I would be very, very surprised if it was 24 frames. Yeah. So what they basically did was democratize GIF creation across all ios devices yeah um, and it's and they're opening up the api to allow developers to integrate um live photos into their apps so you'll be able to actually share live photos in in instagram and facebook and twitter kind of the big social shit we chat you know the big social yeah. sharing platforms seriously like is. like apple just took control of one of like the predominant means of communication in 2015 yeah and i, I think a lot of people who say that Microsoft and um, Microsoft kind of invented the idea of living images that, uh, you know, this is basically a cinemagraph in some sense. Uh, HTC's done it with Zoe. I mean, there's a lot of examples of this being successfully Flexel. implemented, but the reality is that Apple's distribution model is orders of magnitude greater than any of those companies. And that Microsoft made living or nokia you know subsequently microsoft made living images into a feature and micro and, and zoe has tried to make um hcc's tried to make zoe into a platform and has failed because mm -hmm. it's it's got very very small even though there's an ios app there's it's just a very small um user base with living photos it's integrated right into the camera app so you have this really easy way of just capturing what you would have normally captured which is a photo and then going oh right i have a second of video before and after that shutter and going okay well i guess i'll share it because it's kind of cool 
and I guess I'll, you know, in this, in, in another situation, I guess I won't share it because it doesn't look very good. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the democratization of, of, video, of photo sharing is, uh, is really what this comes down to. And it, it's one of my favorite features that I Definitely. saw from, from the demos. And the, and the weird thing is we just spent so much time talking about that, which is not, I guess it's hardware enabled, but it's not a hardware, like, what, what are they going to say about a new iPhone? It's like, yeah, we, we did some stuff. I think uh, 3D Touch is really interesting, but only in terms of allowing you to continue to interact with what's already there. But it's like a, it's an S here, and like phones have become commoditized anyways. So the fact that like, how far in were we before they even started talking about the iPhones? So the iPhones were the last announcement of four announcements during the event. Mm-hmm. So let's go back through it. They announced new Apple Watch bands uh, for the fall. They a- announced a partnership with Hermes, a very popular French fashion company. And mm-hmm. they, uh, they announced gold and rose gold cases for the Apple Watch Sport, the aluminum Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. And so, they, they, they talked a bit about Watch OS 2, right? And Watch OS 2. They gave a demo of some of the improvements. But Watch OS 2 was announced at WWDC. So like iOS 9, they didn't really rehash a lot of it. They basically focused on the hardware. Jeff Williams focused more on the partnership with Hermes, intimated that there's going to be a lot more where that came from. Mm-hmm. And in the demo area, they gave a lot of space to Apple Watch. They really, really are pushing this idea of, if you didn't like what we had in the first six months, wait until Christmas. There's definitely going to be a version of Apple Watch that you want. So they're not taking this, the approach that a lot of Android Wear companies have done where they release a product and then they just discount it. Dump and run, they've yeah. Gone, um, they've gone the other direction. And this is typical Apple where they just expand the possibilities of what you can buy for the same price. And um, though what's interesting is that they didn't increase the price of the Apple Watch in Canada Whereas with the new iPhones, the exchange rate has affected the price of them quite significantly. So the entry-level Apple Watch, while it's not cheap, it's still m- not as bad compared to the new, the new iPhones. Well, hadn't, hadn't the Apple Watch already been affected by the exchange rate to a certain point in comparison has, to but, the phones? But we'll, we'll talk about this a bit later because I, I've written an article about the new financing plan for the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus in the U.S., and how it should apply to Canada, and how financing is such an important part of the future of of phone purchases. But suffice it to say, the Apple Watch is was not. I think what they did was they they hedged the downwards the, the downward trend of the Canadian dollar when it was announced or when the pricing was announced in March. They built the the basically seventy five cents to the US dollar back in March. Whereas mm-hmm. with the iPhone, they, they couldn't do that. They couldn't increase the price by two, $250 right away. So they basically did it by stepping up a certain percentage. And then now with the iPhone 6S, they've stepped it up even further to make room for extra downward momentum with the, with the Canadian dollar. So I think Apple, as a lot of companies, expects the Canadian dollar to decrease even further from where it is today. Right now, it's about $75 to the U.S., uh, 75 cents, rather. I think they're looking at, you know, they're, they're building at around 70 cents, 60, 68, 70 cents. 
which I think is at its lowest back in like 2004. It hit like 63 cents. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I remember it like being a kid, it was usually like 67 to 70 on the dollar, which is yeah. saying something. Um, but yeah, uh, do we want to do we want to talk about like the? I don't know. We're going back and forth into a lot of things. I guess it's because for you know. So okay. So first announcement: Apple Watch stuff, which is it's nothing it's new stuff but it's not like new product it's like new iterations of the product which is important because like apple watch is still super new and to be honest not really worthwhile until christmas when people have made like native applications that can do things and hopefully the use cases evolve right um so second announcement was the tablet go 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 back a little so uh i just want to finish off the thought with the apple watch it's not a new product at all, but what they did at the event, and I think what you're going to see a lot of at the holiday time, is they are going to approach it as a new product. Because WatchOS 2, even in its you know developer-free world, mm-hmm. they've updated a lot of the core functions of the way that you use complications, the way that you select your watch faces, the way that you interact with notifications. Everything feels faster. I did a demo uh, with somebody at Apple, I have an, I have a video of it up on YouTube, and it's very, very fast compared to what it was back in March. Yeah, April, native helps, it was, Ben. <laughs> it, it it helps, and it's certainly on its own not reason enough to buy one. But I think, as you said, as the slow trickle of native apps come to the watch, coupled with the improvements made to the core experience, that is going to be a compelling enough reason to buy one, especially since. A lot of the improvements, the rose gold casing, the new bands, things like that, they, I mean, for me, the biggest improvement was the fact that they now have a saddle brown leather strap. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I don't really like leather straps. I don't like black leather straps. So the classic buckle they had was only available in brown, in black leather. Now that they have a brown leather strap, I'd be more willing to take a look and say, okay, that's something I want to invest my money in. And it's those kinds of additions that make it, at least to the avid watch buyer, a bit more attractive. Well, no, just but just human beings, right? Like this is this is this tension, this overlap between tech and consumer experience where Yeah, you're right. Like they didn't they didn't release new product in the sense that like there's new specs or like traditional tech bumps right it's like hey there's some new straps there's some new colors like in every way that a watch is a product it's a new product but in the way in which it's a piece of technology it's not new but it's really important if if you're looking to wear a watch having one that you in the in the style and the color that you want to wear is super important um that said i think the the real the real turning point will be once they can find an app built natively that everyone says is a really great reason to have an Apple Watch. Yeah. And it's interesting that they that they led the demo with like a medical health focus, which was kind of boring to watch, but for certain people really, really compelling in the use case. Yeah, and and you know, was it you I was talking to about how? Um, oh, sorry, uh, uh, Patrick, our new writer, uh, was talking about how he was um, at a hospital at, at, at a hospital recently for uh, a family 
um, person. I uh, don't want to get more detailed than that, but everything's okay. But he's, he said that a lot of the doctors in the... Uh, it, you know, in and around the hospital, wear Apple watches, and he asked them why, and their response was, "It's a lot less rude to check your phone than uh, your watch. Sorry, it's a lot less rude to check your watch than your phone while you're with a patient, mm-hmm. and especially when there's emergencies, you can get that tap. It doesn't sound like a vibration to the patient. It doesn't sound like a vibration to anybody around you. Whereas, um, you know, a phone is is very obviously an interruption. Totally." And um, I think that's going to be more evident, you know, the, the sort of enterprise side of the Apple Watch. We, we've heard about airport managers and, and employees at uh, various airports around the world. One use case was in Quebec, where they've dist- uh, deployed the Apple Watch to all of their employees. It's going to be a very interesting progression to see how this changes with native apps and watchOS 2. But that's not going to happen for a while. And it may not happen until the second piece of hardware in the Apple Watch world comes out, you know? It'll be interesting to see what they have in terms of a, of a product life cycle. Because as we've seen with the, so like the, the laptop life cycle, Moore's Law, holding it down, pretty regular. Smartphone demand hype cycle requires a new phone every year uh, to the point that if uh, the OnePlus 2 misses shipping by like a month it's it's a major it's something that the company has to apologize for um tablets though we've seen after the initial like purchase hype sales steadily declining is like once you have a tablet you kind of just need a tablet um i'm not sure if the apple watch is something that they're going to need to to refresh every year yeah especially given the limitations on app developers it's sort of like that console life cycle we see um you know even 10 years after the release of the ps3 or eight years after the ps3 or Mm -hmm. the xbox 360 the quality of the games uh, was so much higher towards the end of the product cycle because the developers had become used to the Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the SDKs, the 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 engines, everything that was available, they it, they had reached maturity, and even though the hardware itself had not increased in in power or capabilities, that games just were so much better. I mean, look at look at Grand Theft Auto Four, you know, and how impressive it was on that last generation uh, hardware. Well, I I would say even it just you know. Everything that you would expect an Apple Watch to do now, you would expect it to essentially do five years from now, which isn't the expectation you would have from a phone. Because we're, we're trained to think that every year they're cramming more and more stuff into a smaller space, whereas the watch is, isn't supposed to be the primary interaction tool, right? So like, yeah. you kind of want to buy a watch and not have to replace your watch every year. Even if you're a watch person... You might have a variety of different types of watches, but all those watches keep working after a year, right? But let's talk about um, what I think the biggest potential competitor to the Apple Watch this year, at least announced this year, and that's the Moto 360. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount the um, Samsung Gear S2. I haven't played with it yet, so I don't know. But what I've seen is really compelling. But it still runs Tizen. It's still dependent on 
um, you know, specific apps being developed for Teason and distributed through Galaxy apps. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not as bullish on it, but I really I am super impressed with the improvements made to the Moto 360 this year, even though uh, they're not as explicit as I thought they would be. For example, the actual hardware is the same thickness. They've done a lot to improve the customer experience. They have mm-hmm. so many more strap options. The like straps the watch themselves. experience, not the tech experience. Yes, exactly. I think yeah. the tech experience did need to change a little bit, and they improved the performance of the processor. Uh, they've they've made it really easy. The, the the screen's much nicer. You know, if you can get over that uh, you know flat tire, which mm-hmm. is still there. But by and large, I think they've addressed the major uh, functionality issues in the sense that they now have a smaller case, a 42-millimeter case, rather than just the 146-millimeter case. They have a, an explicit women's line, which is really nice, and they've they've catered, they've partnered with a bunch of companies to create uh, personalized straps. Mm-hmm. In, in the UK and the US, they have motor, motor maker support. I mean, these are all things that allow you to create that really great watch experience, and it, it's far cheaper than the Apple Watch. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's something that, remember, we talked with them a year ago about all of these things, and they're like, we just need to get this out, and we need to figure all that stuff out, and it's it's all about the overlap of that consumer products are now technology products. Right. And that the technology companies making them have to really up their game or do a lot of catch-up to make the consumer experience for these things as as useful as the tech. Um, but can we can we go to the second announcement? Because like I I can't talk about watches any longer. Yeah, um, I'll I'll basically just like I want to <laughs> I want to just put my thoughts down uh, about the watch on a separate podcast. I think what I'm going to do is just like do a syrup cast solo and just like rant <laughs> about the watch for a few minutes and put it on. Um, because I have so much to say about the Apple Watch in relation to other products. You don't think so, it's you don't think that's fruit material? Oh yeah, I definitely do. But I I just more think about kind of the way that I uh, Eric is not he's a tech guy, he's an Apple guy, but he's not a watch guy. So I have a lot of experience with sort of uh, watches as a holistic idea. If you t- if guess. you're telling me you're starting a watch podcast, I'm out. I'm out. Oh, so I I'm would done. Love I'm to done. Watch podcast. Yeah, I'd be I'd be chased out of syrup land. Canada, just legitimately Canada. We'd make you yeah, move to Buffalo. Let's go to let's go to the second announcement, I, which I think is one of the more interesting announcements, um, and a and a big question mark. The iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. What? So, no, 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 no. Well, that was the third announcement wasn't it second announcement was apple tv wasn't it uh do you want to talk about apple tv well i it's a product i'm actually gonna buy or have my mom buy for me because it's my birthday happy Um, birthday to douglas i'll just say that it's uh for all the hype about apple getting into the television i feel like what they've done is possibly create the first set top box that will sell and compel. And uh, Patrick actually wrote a great piece on this in that it's essentially the Wii with all of the good things that Apple can bring over top in terms of uh, multimedia experience, which means that 
it will at least sell as much as the Wii did, so 100 million units right there, plus, you know, Mr. Robot and all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I think it's, even though it doesn't, like, save TV from itself or save TV from cable companies, I think it's the first step. Um, and I, I think Universal Search is, like, that bridge. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, Universal Search is really interesting, but Roku hasn't really... I mean, Roku's right now available in Canada, and it's doing really well. It has had Universal Search for a long time. It has a... You know, it doesn't have a gesture-enabled remote, but it it has a similar kind of fundamental idea to the UX. Have you used you a Roku ser- before? I have it. I have it in my living room. Oh, it's slow, man. It's it no no, no it's not a little slow. Bunk. The new one is not slow. The, the Roku three isn't slow, but it sucks in Canada. So there's not a whole lot of content options. But the, what I want to say about Apple's implementation of Universal Search and how it relates to Roku is that they I think miss a fundamental way of using television that you know people with cable currently take for granted is that you look for the program first and then you find it on the channel whereas with the apple tv and all other set talk boxes you find the channel in order to facilitate the content not so, true no 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 not true they and they demoed something counter to that where you could search for a thing and then it would tell you the different ways in which you could watch it right absolutely but i think that it still biases the con- the actual service so for example, there's no way to set up a playlist that goes between HBO Now or Crave TV and Netflix. I if I want to load up, you know, if I want to load up uh, Game of Thrones season two episode four and then jump right into Narcos season one episode five, there's no way to do that because they're still kept inside oh. their respective platforms, and so, you have so to what, exit out. You yeah. have to open the new app. You know, there's th- that's not the way that people are, are are used to using television. They're not used to watching TV that way because every channel isn't an app on a on a cable box. It's it's just another channel within the ecosystem of television. No, I understand right? what you're saying. I so my counter to that would be, I'm not sure you need a playlist for that as much as you think because. And separate from music, these are experiences that are probably at least a half hour to an hour long. So queuing up the next one is, is, isn't as annoying as if you, you couldn't build a music playlist and had to just choose every single song every three minutes. Yeah. And I would also say that what they have now is a wedge in the door towards people creating essentially what you're saying is like, you know, the Bader channel, which is you just sure. pulling in all the content that you want and and where it plays from and it's actually something that they really need to kind of fix with uh itunes and apple music as well that synthesizing of music that you own music that you have files apps that you use um but i think this is a pretty decent first step i think it's a pretty um because i don't I... i don't think of things in terms of channels i always think of things in terms of content even if i you know traditionally have been hardwired to know what channels things are going to be on. Yeah. Um, and it just takes a bit of, um, it, it just takes a bit of learning on the user's part to get around that sandbox, I guess. But what I really think was interesting is how Tim Cook called apps the future of television. 
Mm-hmm. And subsequently, when developers started looking into the new Apple OS or TVOS SDK, they've discovered that there is literally no web view, that app developers cannot open a web view, not even inside native apps, not even within a sandboxed mm-hmm. app that has protections and all the other qualifications required of an Apple, uh, of an iOS app. Well, I'm sure that's because they don't want apple tv to become a torrent box no but even within an app itself right where there would be limitations to yeah. the kinds of like you couldn't you, you wouldn't be able to go into a web view like right now if if i if i open up safari on an iphone or an ipad and i go to torrent.com and i download star.torrent that doesn't do anything right because there's no way for me to use that file extension no, but someone um, could create a player to to translate that, right? Like, I think, as you've seen with, like, other systems that are a little bit more open, like, say, like, even, like, with Roku and stuff, like, I think you can... I, they have to be a little bit more controlling with that experience, or they, I'm sure they would lose so many content deals or so many, so many apps. They have to be, you know... The apps that they're talking about that are the future TV are legitimate apps, not, you know, the abundance. Of, it's not, uh, what is it, popcorn time or whatever. No, and I, I, I suspect that that's partly the reason. I think that the web experience, the lean back web experience from the couch is the main one, is just the inability to use. There's no mouse support on iOS, and that's really the best way to interact with the web from um from like a, a couch yeah you know I, I know a lot of you can still airplay like if you want to airplay what's on your laptop to the apple tv that is still a thing you can do absolutely and you're absolutely right it's uh it's not out of the question it's just very interesting that the app centric view of the internet for the f- is is inherently kind of it's drilled into developers both from the small screen perspective Say on an Apple Watch, there's mm-hmm. no way to obviously create a web view on an Apple Watch, and the large screen perspective, like on Apple TV, and they're they're narrowing down what it means to be a web device these days, or even they're redefining what the internet is. You know, the well, the e- even now on the iPhone, there's only one uh, browser you can use, and it's Apple's. It is, whether but it's you- also. You know whether you're whether you're using another browser or not, or you're in app or not. They've already locked that down. They're just taking it a step farther on these devices, and it's because that app centric view. Uh, it's because Google controls the web, <laughs> and Facebook is trying to eat the web, and Apple owns the apps mm-hmm. for the past eight years. So, you know, but that also there are also compelling experience reasons why beyond the business reason. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah, excited and- for it. I'm going to like, I'm going to have for the first time a set top box in my house other than my Xbox 360, which I really just use for two things, destiny and, uh, Netflix. Although there are times in which I do watch like a Microsoft movie, if it's like a new release. And I think this is going to open up my horizons to television shows. Like even just going on, uh, what iTunes has right now for things that you can kind of purchase through them for tv and stuff i was really surprised being in canada what's available like i've yeah, i've been if- dying to watch mr robot uh because it's been like the hype show of the summer and as soon as that thing's plugged into my tv 
where that's happening. Um, also, the final season of Mad Men, which I can't get on Netflix right now, mm-hmm. um, which has everything else. You know, not watching that from my laptop will be will be great. I like the notion of expanding what's possible on the Apple TV. I, I think it wasn't a mistake for them not to include 4K support. Um, I don't think the penetration of 4K televisions is big enough to justify the extra licensing expenses. And it's it's just the bandwidth. You know, what, what we know about the, the way Apple TV works is you buy a 32 gig or 64 gig mm-hmm. version of the box, but apps themselves can't be larger than 200 megs. So what's going to happen with games like Infinity Blade and large graphical asset type games is that they will purge what they downloaded earlier and download new assets as you need them. So it's basically like, you know, NVIDIA's uh, Shield streaming service, mm-hmm. but on a, on a more casual gamer scale. Well, and it doesn't it, it, need to be, you, you're not streaming from your computer, you're streaming from Apple's servers. Yeah, it's interesting because you'll see the games be uh, kind of an interesting spectrum between like hey bejeweled fun casual game or we casual game to like games that are pretty fun to play in your ipad but you'd much rather just be playing them on the tv like if i can go buy uh swords and sorcery and play that on a tv good god would i'd rather do that than staring at my little mobile screen or um other other games other like indie games that are on like PS4 and things like that, that you kind of have to get a PS4 to play or get them through steam. You will, I will, I think you'll now see them a lot more on iOS because there's a huge, there's a huge game developer ecosystem there. And you're going to, you'll probably see a lot more of those kind of lean back titles, those traditional console titles showing up now because it'll just be better to play them on a screen, like a big screen. The thing is I I like, I like this idea that, you know, Apple's, I like the direction Apple's moving in with the TV. The thing is that it's not, I don't think it's going to be as much better than, say, Apple TV or Android TV and the Nexus player, which currently has support for the, you know, the Play Store. Uh, You know, there's the Roku, there's Shield TV, there's a bunch of other Android-based set-top boxes that do a great job. I'm not saying that the Apple's advantage is lost because clearly the the app, uh, you know, the app community, the developer community, is their main advantage here, mm-hmm. which they're looking to leverage for sure. And they're absolutely looking to leverage. I mean, that was one of the big highlights of of the Apple TV announcement was that they have 11 million developers who are creating apps for this, uh, for creating I- iOS apps, and that. It's not going to take a whole lot of of work to port an iOS game to Apple TV to TVOS. Um, but that being said, you know I have a Nexus player. It comes with ASUS's GamePad. It basically runs Android. It can play most games that have support for a controller, and it's kind of awesome. But it's it doesn't have. I mean, I've I've played a bunch of really great titles on the Nexus player, but I keep going back to my Apple TV because it's just simple to... It's simple. Kind of, like, I, it's my simple girlfriend and, and I will really probably... Well. And I'm worried that adding that complexity 
especially in a in, in you know in homes that have an Xbox One or a PS4 plus a Roku plus a Nexus player, you know wh- how are how is Apple going to continue getting those people on board to pick up that app that new you know more complex Apple TV remote every well, time? Th- there's a, there's a lot of people that don't have an Xbox One or a PS4. And a lot of homes that have probably justified the purchasing of them because in addition to the hardcore game playing or the even the indie game playing, um, they can act as a set-top box for media. Right. For me, this could be the primary device that I turn on to consume media to get a decent to complex, you know, like, hey, I, I want to play... Um, the cool new indie game that kind of came out on iOS or Steam, but I know it's going to come out for Apple TV because the installed base or it's easy to make apps ported there or even the new XCOM. And I don't have to have an Xbox to do that. Um, I can play super fun casual games with, with friends as a party device using the Wii thing. But then I also don't need a Wii because it, the Apple TV provides more media I feel like it's it's a bit of a sweet spot between those things, um, especially when you factor in price point, right? We're looking at something that is essentially same price at the medium end of uh, the original Wii with way more media options um, and a better app installed base than the Wii ever had beyond first-party Nintendo games. Um, so that, like, I don't have to buy an Xbox One or a PS4 just to get the the cool new indie games coming out because I know that they're probably going to come to Apple TV. Yeah, I I just don't think the Wii is an apt comparison because the Wii wasn't really an, the original at least wasn't an internet connected product. The Wii U is a bit more of an internet product, but it's still its controller is completely different. They've changed the dynamic of how people interact with the big screen by moving a lot of the experiences to the little screen. Um I mean, I, I guess just the the comparison is, is appropriate for the more casual gamer scenario. And especially if Nintendo is partnering with Dina to create casual games for iOS, Nintendo mm-hmm. may actually be a publisher on Apple TV at some point. And if they understand their future correctly, they need to be. Yeah. And but- I think you'll see, like, there are already, like, Final Fantasy ports to iOS, right? I think you'll actually start to see more ports of of classic traditional games because it's not casual so much as just not the with the current AAA like 3D first person shooter experience is, which like just dominates next gen systems. It can be anything from um, well, it was like hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today swords and sorcery to uh remakes of old 2d games mm-hmm. to like super casual stuff like bejeweled or things like that right um but, i mean i want to see a middle ground here i don't want to see bejeweled 5 
on i on Apple TV with you know in app purchases galore. I want to see an a game optimized mm-hmm. for the Apple TV's you know controller slash you know MFI game pads released simultaneously on Apple TV, Xbox One, and PS4 from an indie developer and have them play the same. Totally. Because the, you know, the A8 chip is fast enough. I mean, it's ARM-based, but other than that, it can probably do, I would think, yeah. a, a high percentage of what the Xbox it, One and PS4 can do when it comes to 2D or at least like basic 3D gaming. I'm not comparing the cpus don't email me or text me or tweet me saying that you know you idiot i understand the a8 is not in the same class send handwritten letters to uh no so but but yeah if i can play shovel knight fun nintendo games from my youth uh maybe the new XCOM, and like super fun casual party games that's all apple tv needs to do that's great. For $200? That's great. And then, oh, also all the TV and stuff? Like, that's perfect. Because now the onus is on the next-gen consoles to prove why I need to spend $300 more for an experience that's better. Right? I agree. Okay, like let's, to, let's move yeah. on, because we're, uh, we're yeah, running we're, out we're of going, time. We're going deep, son. I did not think and, we were going gonna... to... Uh, we need to get to two more products. Uh, let's talk uh, quickly about iPad Pro uh yay or nay what do you think <laughs> wow we're gonna we're gonna yada yada ipad pro you uh okay so i think we need to yada yada only because and i'll explain why in a second but it's very much a blank slate and i and i you know pun intended like there's not a whole lot you can do right now on it that it, apple really wants to show off well it's the other side of the surface coin yep in in an attempt to disrupt laptop sales because, you know, there was actually a great editorial on this week before where um, the the Pro is meant to replace, like, the Air doesn't matter anymore because the MacBook is, sm- like, all laptops are essentially as thin as a MacBook Air is now, which means its its main differentiator is, is kind of gone, right? So, um what what replaces that in terms of ultimate portability? Well, a tablet with a, a keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. And if you compare it to the Surface, and this is why people like are always like, oh, Apple's just copying what Microsoft did and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's, it's so ridiculous because timing matters um, and approach and execution matters because uh, Microsoft being a PC company decided to make a PC that was also a tablet Whereas Apple, as a post-PC company, makes a tablet that upscales to PC. And they're like, that's not just a, a, a weird inversion, right? Like, this, isn't a, this is running iOS. It's not running a weird amalgam of, of Windows and, and Metro. Um, it's, it's, it's bigger. It's, it comes with a keyboard that a lot of people already use with their uh, iPad anyways. And then it comes with stylus pencil whatever that seems like um just a note it doesn't actually ship with those products it needs you need to purchase oh yeah that's true um but obviously obviously the intention is for them to be used with those otherwise like why are you buying like why are you buying just the top of your laptop yeah i mean at the very least buy the keyboard i so and i'm 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 sure they're gonna do like a bun well i don't know they're not really big on bundles in the way that microsoft is 
and it's a interesting price point comparison but like i'll say you know for whatever whatever the reasons to not do a stylus in 2010 this isn't a this isn't a stylus as like the touchy interaction tool this is like a stylus for like people who want to use their ipad as a wacom tablet which people like a lot of people have gravitated to the surface to as like I need a portable computer to do this kind of work with. Um, and the surface is what allows me to do that. I, yeah, I, I mean, I got to play with the iPad pro with the keyboard, the smart keyboard case Mm -hmm. and with Apple pencil. How is the keyboard by the way? Just straight up. The keyboard is really nice. It's about, if you've played with the MacBook keyboard at all, uh, which is a lot shallower than traditional Mac, Pro or MacBook mm-hmm. Air keyboards, it feels very similar, um, but it's the keys are not separated in order to you know make them flush up against the screen and also not damage the screen at all because the grooves in between the keys would damage the glass. Mm-hmm. They've enclosed it in this sort of rubberized material, uh, and if if you've ever used one of the Logitech Folio keyboards with an iPad, you, you'll understand what that means. But it's it's a really nice keyboard. It's not my favorite way to type. I, I really prefer the the actual, you know, surface level keyboard like mm-hmm. you find on a MacBook or elite, or even a type cover with the surface. But it's it's the best of it, it's a it's the best compromise they could probably find to keep it thin and light and Did durable. you play with the the touchscreen? Because they, they actually it was interesting how much time they spent even with the, the keyboard cover talking about uh the oh, the software level keyboard. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't play with the software keyboard at all. They weren't demoing it. Uh, my guess is that it's significantly better in landscape mode than the iPad Air just because of its size. Yeah. But Apple, you still... Like, they're, they're going to sell a smart cover for the iPad Pro, obviously, without the keyboard, you know, attached. You, they don't want everybody to spend 170... Well, I'm sure they do want, but they don't expect everybody to mm-hmm. spend 170 US dollars on this keyboard cover. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be fine with a virtual keyboard. I'm still not comfortable typing on a big keyboard the way that I am in portrait mode on my iPhone or, or Android phone. Uh, I don't really know why you would want the iPad Pro over a MacBook yet. I think Apple doesn't even know why you would want an iPad Pro over a MacBook, other than the fact that it could turn into a tablet if you need it to. Um, and the biggest you know, criticism of the Surface is that those full screen apps that Microsoft has been trying to entice developers to create for the past three years just haven't really come to fruition. Whereas yeah. iPad approached it from the opposite direction. We are going to build this amazing retinue of full screen first apps, and then we're going to create the hardware around it to take advantage of it. Totally. So Developers already know how to create great full-screen experiences for the iPad, whereas with the Surface, you'll be lucky to find a couple of great full-screen apps. And I've tried this on Windows 10. I mean, Windows 10 is a huge improvement, but even Microsoft acquiesced to the fact that most people don't really care about the store, you know? Yeah, well, it's like Microsoft is leveraging their their strength in Windows because they need the apps, whereas was... Apple can leverage iOS. But even then, when I see people using surfaces, they're not using them as a tablet ever. They're using it as a kickstand keyboard, sometimes with a mouse. 
but something that they can kind of like just bring to a coffee shop that's like slightly less cluttered than a than a laptop whereas i feel like you know maybe maybe the thing for the the pro is just the fact that it is a touch interface first mm-hmm. whereas a laptop is a is a keyboard trackpad interface first so for a lot people, of uh, a lot of uh, hardcore microsoft people are going to see that split view sort of sandbox limitation as the biggest criticism against the iPad Pro. But Apple wants that to be an advantage. And it's going to take great quality full screen apps to make it an advantage, but mm-hmm. they have inherently uh, limited themselves and developers to what they can do in order to bring out the best of those developers. And, and we've seen some truth to that over the years in terms of iPad apps, right? The, the great iPad apps are the ones that adhere to Apple's idea of what a full screen app should do. But I also think that there are inherent advantages to having a flexible operating system like Windows. Totally. And and that's where Mac will continue to be a a selling feature for for Apple. Um so yeah, I don't I don't really know if we're going to if we're like seeing the replacement of Mac by the iPad or by iOS, at least this is the first salvo towards that, if it is at all. Um, well, they, as, they, as they keep blending closer and closer together, there's going to be these weird moments. Like, I would probably stick with a laptop with, my, with a MacBook Air or something similar, simply because, for me, living in a web environment is all that I need to do with my MacBook Air, which is why I have it. But... Right. Uh, if I'm in an app environment, having like a, you know, PC level power, whatever that benchmark was that they threw out with a, that actually wasn't a benchmark with a bunch of specific apps, um, I could see people wanting to use it. But is there anything, is there any indication that the, the pencil um, is of a like kind of Wacom level quality? Like it seems like it's, it's, the the level of responsiveness oh. is it's it's much more or less like a stylus as in like a writing utensil touch implement and, it, and it's it's it seems to be more based for like uh like pencil style weighted drawing things like that this isn't this isn't like a note 5 stylus oh it is it's absolutely similar like the there's a there's a touch controller on the note series that is very similar to what apple added to the ipad pro in the sense that it's an active controller that will detect the the stylus and work with it to create pressure points and um, much, much, much lower latency than a typical capacitive stylus. Like comparing the, uh, I, I went, I did this right after. I, I I had my iPad Air two with me with the fifty threes pencil. Mm-hmm. And after I demoed the iPad Pro with the pencil, with the Apple Pencil, I went and I tried to do the exact same thing in paper, the app that 53 makes. Yeah. yeah. And it was night and day. The Apple Pencil is just so much faster and so much smoother. And it, the touch sensitivity, the, the the pressure sensitivity is just off the charts. Well, isn't it? But so my point was, and what I'm saying is not like a note. It's because that stuff's happening a lot on the hardware end, like physically built into the stylus. Whereas like, I thought the note was was much more relying upon software to create that impression than Oh, I see. Yeah, it's it's an active stylus the way that the Notes stylus is not. I agree. Yeah, okay. absolutely right. Um a lot more is going on on the hardware, but 
what's what's really interesting is that the Apple Pencil needs to be active more not because the pencil itself is uh more sensitive but because it's it's the it's pencil point, that's sensing yeah it's measuring it's point the pressure is actually yeah. flexible so you can yeah. you can tilt it to do shading and that like the way that you would shade a pencil mm-hmm. is completely possible on yeah. the apple pencil it's 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 like it's much more like I a brush almost even i'm not yeah. a i'm not an artist but this was in my opinion the best way to take notes i've ever had on a touchscreen well like, I, we we know a few like digital artists who work with this stuff it'd be interesting like when we get one in to have them kind of give it a go and see how it compares to the the standard like wacom tablet and if it's like if they're like yep yeah, i could go to this in a second um because then that then that's just like well wouldn't you know there's there's your growth in tablet sales right just like yeah. you just start seeing tablets everywhere uh rather than um specific use case hardware i i don't i mean it, it's it's hard to say whether professionals would replace their paper and pencil and their charcoal and their uh you know canvases with an apple pencil and ipad pro it's it's possible but it's a very big investment where well, you know and without you know explicit advantage at this point so i'm uh, not well, sure it's, it's if, if you can have, why would you buy like a 300 or $400 Wacom tablet that's only for one thing when you can just have your iPad be able to do that? No, if, I'm not talking about replacing the Wacom tablet. I'm talking about literally a piece of paper and a pencil. Oh, well, not, you know, that's like, the, that's, hey, tech, that's technology like 101. Nothing's replacing the pa- paper and pencil. But for everyone who's doing digital paintings, like so much of like, digital content creation is done it's not like they're doing physical sketches or even like animation and then scanning that in anymore um and like this knowledge i have through like friends who are animators and things like that it's all all the artwork that you see is is digitally painted now right so well you guys tell us if you if you're listening and you own a wacom tablet does the ipad pro interest you tell us why or why not uh from what i know the ipad pro's 800 dollars entry point plus the $99 Apple Pencil is a little bit cheaper than sort of the high-end Wacom tablets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, would, say, a version of Photoshop or something like Pixelmator, which is currently available for uh, for iOS, would that be enticing to you as a replacement for a Wacom tablet plus a Mac um, mm-hmm. and a big screen? Like, let us know. Um I just we we only have a few more minutes, so I want to move on to the iPhone. And <laughs> yada yada iPhone. Um, no, 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 this is not yada yada iPhone. So I I think 3D Touch is going to be a very very big deal, and I think most people dismissed it as this, you know, force touch copy or facsimile of what Apple thinks the future of UI is going to be. You know, add add a couple leather, le- uh, levels of sensitivity and call it a day. But what I think is that this is the beginning of the end of the home button, because the way that you use your Force Touch plus iOS nine or 3D totally. Touch plus iOS nine is you swipe between screens, so you can actually force your finger down on the edge, the left edge of the screen, to initiate the multitasking um, uh, screen. So you can switch easily between apps. Uh, you 
for you you 3D touch on app icons to get to shortcuts. Right now, those are Apple only, but developers like Instagram, Facebook, they're all developing uh, versions of it. Plus the idea of within apps, you'll be able to tap on links to check to see whether you want or they're using peek to peek mm-hmm. into the, the content. Peek and pop. And then pop right into the app itself. <laughs> and then with iOS 9, you have that universal link at the at the top left where it goes back to Twitter or back to notes or back to mail. Mm-hmm. And you can easily go back and forth. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that patent we saw for Apple integrating the home button or the 3D or the touch ID sensor into its glass will take effect next year. Totally. And then you're going to see their bezel disappear or something, or they're going to use that space for, but like it's, it's, it's a menuless way to add context and intention to your user interface, which yeah. is inherently a win. Like, and what I said, what, what I said in my, my iPhone success video is that it's not necessary. This is not something that Apple is going to, you know, th- uh, you know, put down your throat and, and, and force you to use like Siri, like touch ID. It's one of those things that over time is just a part of your life. I mean, Siri, I didn't start using Siri until the iPhone 5S when it got really good. And even then it took until iOS 8 for Siri to get fast enough that I would use it on a daily basis. So it took Mm. three years for me to use Siri every day. Um, And now I use it every day for for all the things because Siri is just so much better than it used to be. It's so much faster and more reliable. Yeah. Similar, Touch ID. I didn't really care about Touch ID until app developers like 1Password started integrating it. And now I use it for any time I can, I'll, I'll use Touch ID. Oh, yeah, yeah. But so the, it's not like, it's like a big deal in the sense that it's making using your phone way easier and better, but it doesn't really change the way that you use your phone. Uh, the way yeah. that I see it, I'm just thinking, and, it, you know, I was making some BlackBerry comparisons during the um, the keynote because with, with the peak and pop, it's like, they just, they basically took BlackBerry's peak and flow, but made it better because it's not menu based. Because you can like you can you can peek into things and then action it, you know. Um, but it's like it's like when the when the BlackBerry went from the the track wheel to the scroll ball, yeah. Where it's just like this slightly better, or even the trackpad. Like it's like this is a superior way of of interacting and engaging with more depth and flexibility. Yeah. But it's it's still you just interacting with it. I think the most useful thing is the ability to jump into an app and jump into what you want to do in the app rather than having to load the app and starting fresh all the time. I think especially for iOS, which really doesn't do multitasking, is is great, right? Uh, but it doesn't really change my interaction with the phone. It just it streamlines it. Um, so great yeah. addition to the phones, but yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be one of those things where you, and I can, I, I I will I will bet you that this is going to be something we look back on in a year, and iPhone iPhone users are going to, uh, they're they're just not going to be able to remember how they lived without it. Um, totally, totally. But it's not going to change the way that they use the phone. Like it's no. not going to change. It's not like oh my god, my phone doesn't have three D touch, which means I can't do this, this, and that. Exactly. It just makes using the phone better. I think for yeah. the gaming stuff was interesting as a demo. And it's one of those things where you're just like, I'm the, the, the demos where you're watching someone play a game are always boring, but they're especially boring when you're watching someone playing a game where the demonstration is how much easier it is for them to play the game. 
because you need to be them to understand that. Right. But for a totally touchscreen based interface to have have that additional layer of of context and intention with without buttons is like a force multiplier. Yeah, um, it is, and it's a lot of people have likened it to the BlackBerry Storm. But it's, it's like <laughs> then so, they didn't use the storm. It's so different, like it's not My even. My God, it's not even close to the same. Uh, uh, the phone, like unlike the trackpad on your MacBook, which actually the new MacBook doesn't, it doesn't move at all anymore. Yeah, it's not it a actually button. uses a piezoelectric uh, mm-hmm. motor to create the sensation of a physical trackpad. This is the same. Your your screen doesn't move. It's not like you can make your yeah. screen click. It's the haptic, it's the taptic engine inside the screen that's creating the impression that you're moving the screen well, itself. Well, the, the Storm Two was piezoelectric. The the first Storm was just literally a giant button. Um, okay, fair enough. But I think with the Storm Two, they only had like sixteen parts of the screen that would accept. Yes, uh, or input. like uh, multi-touch limitations, so like two points or things like this. One of the cool things I I saw was that. Uh, or maybe maybe this was with the this might have actually been on the iPad Pro, but the idea that it could t- tell what the pencil was versus um, your fingers and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that was that was separate. That was just multi-touch. I saw that with the they created a ruler by tapping two fingers yeah. on the screen and then but, using the pencil. But then again, like I'm sure there'll be a point line. where you're 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 3D touching in on that ruler to. No, to there's have no a, 3D touch on the iPad Pro. No, no, I'm saying the evolution of these interaction oh, tools are such. So sorry, I'm just trolling you. Yeah, like no, but but that's the difference between you know we're talking about oh you know BlackBerry did this years ago. Well, did they do it as well as this is where it's like just naturally a thing, or like yeah, there's been styluses around, or is it happening at a point in time where people actually want a stylus as like a secondary interaction tool, not a thing that you use with your palm device, like yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, people are going to see it and, and understand, but until then, they'll make fun of it because that's what people love to do. Uh, last last couple of things: uh, improved camera, twelve megapixel camera, live photos, really interesting feature. Uh, we'll talk a bit about a bit more about that next week. But um, this is, as you said at the beginning, kind of the evolution of of photo distribution. Yeah. Um, in a way that HTC and, and Nokia just failed to do. Um, and I don't think even Apple cares that they've copied those two companies because this lives in your Photos app. This is just a part of your Photos experience, your camera experience. Well, but it's also the network effect of, hey, we also made it so that not all, all iPhone devices or iOS devices can create these things, but can support these things. So how many hundreds of millions of devices can now use this, which means they open up the API, all these app developers can use this. This might just become like, like it's hard to make a GIF. Like we're, you've been playing around with some super fun iOS GIF keyboards to make them. But if every yep. photo you take has the potential to to GIF out, not not with using a separate app, but just at the OS level, that's where that's where other people's features become like are part of your core product. It's just like like they're drinking they're drinking someone else's milkshake. But get, well, before- I mean, it's the same reason why people make fun of Snapchat. You know, they don't understand it until they become a part of the community. And one of the major, the the major one of the major reasons people love using the the video creation feature is that it's just so simple, you know. Uh, it's it's the same with live photos is that it's just so simple. You just take a photo, and if the live photos feature is enabled, 
you make a you make a gif yeah and and in the the images of my peen only stay if you want them to but so can we talk i think the bigger thing about the the two new phones um because this is, is a like a gold case because no i'm not we're not talking about the colors i don't like it's it's such a uh um although yeah no sorry i can't talk about colors uh two things the because this is an off year the the pricing the pricing switch i think is really interesting because it speaks more where apple is going as a company and i think we're at the point now where we really have to start giving apple uh a hard time for the fact that they're releasing 16 gigabyte iphones oh my god i was not surprised because german leaked everything but i'm livid that they still have 16 gigs as the entry especially since the 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 um camera now shoots 4k you can fill up your camera roll in like 15 minutes with 4k footage okay i don't even see the financial benefit anymore other than to push people to 64 bit this is my this is my point because they don't have the yeah because it's 16 64 128 and they nixed the 32 right this is a continuation of i think this happened this time last year in in a world where the launch price of your device is the subsidized or the unsubsidized price, like a big round number, I understand trying to stay under a certain price point. So you can say, you can get the new iPhone for as little as $199 or whatever. As soon as you introduce a new uh, leasing model where it's a monthly payment, and the price difference in leasing the 16 to a 32 would be like a dollar or two a month. Why are you even doing that? I, I think it's even simpler than that. They should price the 32 gig version exactly the same as the 16 gig version. There is no financial benefit to them other than to increase its margins by a negligible amount. Well, when they're selling that many devices, any any margin difference is not negligible. This is a company that has over $250 billion in cash. Totes. They don't need that extra money. They need to focus on user experience and customer satisfaction. And the number of people who are going to complain that their phones are full after buying the 16 gig uh, yeah. iPhone 6S are, are going to be uh, in the millions. Yeah, but they complain after buying it and they bought the 16 gigabyte because it was cheaper. What I'm saying is, and, like, and that's the reality when you have a, a subsidized two-year contract price. But if if and and maybe 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 16 gigabytes, like for okay, we'll put it this way: for a company that's known for getting rid of bunk hardware features like ports and whatnot, generally ahead of their time to push their demise, to hold on to 16 gigabytes of hard drive space is really weird. And maybe the the moment that that will disappear is the moment that their new leasing plan becomes available outside of the US. Um because it is it is fairly disruptive and I know you wanted to talk about this just the simple fact that um this new model that is going mostly uh or is being pushed mostly amongst US carriers in North America. Apple is now copying, basically mimicking with Apple Care on top of the fact that it's an unlocked device, 
is a real big step to them really pushing the carriers out of the sales of their devices entirely, right? You're right. I mean, the the fact is, and, and this is somebody who is well-known to be a supporter of, of the iPhone as a product. Oh, the fact yeah. is, <laughs> The fact <laughs> is that this product, that, that it exists at all, you know, 16 gigs is 16 gigs, right? Yeah. Like, you can add features elsewhere, but the limitations of 16 gigabytes of storage are even more potent today as they were two or three years ago, and that every single Android OEM, Samsung, HTC and LG have increased the base uh, the the base uh, size of their flagship devices to 32 gigs should speak to the fact that this is necessary mm-hmm. and that Apple hasn't done it yet means that they're either waiting it out and they're going to I I hundred percent think that they're going to debut a 32 gig base model next year because they cannot continue doing this it's not it's not uh yeah maybe it's an s cycle thing maybe it's maybe it's like a component like i bet that they purchase components for devices in like a two-year window or manufacture right because they know that the the casing for like the 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 x and the xs are going to be the same it might be that it could it could be the fact that they're waiting until there's a pricing model where they instead of just saying all devices start at like or you can get the newest iPhone as as little as 199 that once the their global licensing model goes out and that doesn't matter they can just say it's $35 a month or 37 or like whatever um or like i don't we, they don't share this but the breakdown of device sales by uh memory size like what if like if if that's a if a significant enough amount of their devices are purchased at 16 bit because it is under that cap threshold then it would be really dumb of them to change that until that price point disappears cuz it it would have a huge impact on their and you already saw this with their share price already where like they basically have to come out with a letter about like how well things are going in China or like the you know they they break all sales targets but are slightly under what the market estimated their sales targets were going to be and but because they're moving so many units that's like a swing of like 12 billion dollars like you know I think these you're, over, the, I, you're you're overthinking this i i think they are going purely well, you, after profit and yeah, but you have to but but i'm but i'm thinking i'm overthinking the conditions that are leading them to pursue profit because you would think there would be so many benefits like unless unless there's like such a profit drive, it just seems spectacularly dumb for a company that rarely comes across as dumb. Agreed. Here's here's what I think is the biggest uh is is the biggest knock against the six S and six S plus not having a base thirty two gigabyte uh version. And it's that for the first time ever the free iPhone, and I mean free as in the U.S. carrier model Subsidized, free yeah. iPhone, the iPhone 5S, is a 16 gigabyte base. So every single year until now, the the cheapest iPhone that you could buy was an 8 gigabyte version. But the iPhone 5S, which is now the base model that you can buy inside at carriers and from Apple directly, is 16 gigs. You can't get an 8 gigabyte iPhone 5S, mm-hmm. which means that they are clearly acknowledging that you need at least 16 gigs, that the bare bones Apple customer needs 16 gigs. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, and maybe, maybe, maybe you know, the, this is the tech world reaction. It, maybe it could be even considered an act of empathy where you're like, if that $0 price, they've just doubled it up. Like there might be, and it could be part of the licensing plan too, beyond cutting out the carriers where it's, it can just be as, even though the price equation is the same and you don't get the money back in the resale, those are things that people like us do or, or even know that we can do, but avoid doing. Whereas the average person, it's probably a lot easier to pay like 30 bucks a month as opposed to even $200 up front or things like that. Right. So yeah, so if, if there's a if there's what, a junk ton of people buying the free iPhone that just got double the space, and that's like you know twenty five percent of their sales, I think what what it does is it forces people like you and me to say the minimum, like the cheapest iPhone. If you want the newest one, the minimum storage number you should consider is sixty four gigs. For me, it I take. I take Apple's um, lineup and I just cross out the 16 gigabyte version. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even tell people to even consider that anymore. Totally. And that means that the base iPhone 6S, instead of being $899 Canadian plus tax, it's now $1,029 plus tax because that's the only model that I would recommend to anybody. Totally. But there are also tons of people buying iPhones at Walmart that... And 16 gigs is going to be fine until it's not. Yeah. This is, this is why, actually, my dad, every time he needs to update WhatsApp so he can WhatsApp me with his, like, bunk-ass Android phone, uh, has to delete every photo off of it. Because <laughs> every app update for WhatsApp, the one app that he uses, is, like, bigger than, like, just removes all of his memory if he's taken more 100%. than, like, 10 photos. And I mean, um, I dealt with a, a friend's mom's Moto G, a first generation Moto G last night, who had, uh, there's no SD card in that first generation version. Mm-hmm. She did not have any space to do anything else. And she only had a couple of apps, maybe a dozen photos and three or four albums on there. You know, yeah. you get to the point where um, like people rail against me for saying that phones don't need uh, expandable storage. And I agree that they shouldn't need expandable storage because it messes with... And I don't think it's because you don't need it. I think that a phone shouldn't need it because it messes with the way that you use the operating system, especially on Android. Um, Apple's never had expandable storage, so that's a moot point. But what I'm saying is uh, when it comes to Android, if you only have a couple of gigs of storage out of the box, you're really, really limited to what you can do with the phone. And... Now we ha- we're in a situation where that's that's that same argument can be applied to the iPhone success. Truth, but we're also living in a smartphone world where a lot of people probably just really need feature phones. So back in 2006, when I was hype checking uh, the latest, I don't know what would have even been would have been the first bold, the 9000 or something like that. There were a lot of people in the world who had to delete text messages from their phones because their text message memory would be too high, right? Yeah. And all they needed was something where they could send text and call their family. Um, yeah. Nowadays, like, Moto G device aside, there are still people who just need a phone, but there are no feature phones anymore. There are smartphones. So this, there's still that customer experience level where if you're at the low end, you're at the low end of the beautiful things now. But mm-hmm. 
you know, and you're right. There are going to be people who are who are going to fit within that 16 gig um, model, and they'll be happy with it because they don't take a lot of photos, and they don't store, app, and they don't install apps, and they really don't do a whole lot other than, you know, maybe open yeah. up the music app to play their favorite Led Zeppelin album every once in a while. I don't even think they're thinking it through that much. I think it's more like for them, the big thing is getting the phone. And if they can get it at the cheapest price point, they will. Like even me, we were talking right before this podcast started. I I got a 2014 MacBook Air, refreshed my 2013, dope ass device, as well, battery life for days. And I didn't go with the 128 hard drive. And I had to delete nine gigs of space so I could run GarageBand because I was like, and I know this, Lord knows I know this, but it saved me, saved me like 200 bucks at the time. And I was like, I won't need it. And I work in this industry. So I, I, be, that I bet, said, um, that said, I barely you know, work in said, this industry. You know, this, this industry is uh, fickle at best. And, yeah. you know, uh, until like people are going to, love the iphone success it's a great phone and if you're an apple fan especially in canada coming from an iphone 5 you know off a three-year contract i think most people who are upgrading uh from a previous iphone would be coming from the 5 this is going to be an enormous upgrade especially the camera especially the speed uh 64-bit you know a9 chip it's got two gigs of ram that was just confirmed today by somebody on uh, a, a developer on um on Twitter, who was looking through the Xcode, the latest build of Xcode. So, I mean, these are all big improvements. Um, camera, especially 12 megapixels, is probably, uh, you know, one of the major reasons why you'd want to upgrade. Yep. Uh, so, well, you know, they make really good phones. This is a really good version of that phone. It comes in new pretty colors, and it's really friggin' expensive. Yeah, it's that's sums it up. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.